Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Paul Douglas back with you, Jordana, at the Mayo Clinic. She's in our prayers. DJ producing today. There is a press conference that is imminent coming out of Texas with updates, the very latest on this horrific shooting. I mean, every shooting is horrific, but uh, 14 kids dead, one teacher at an elementary school, and uh, the shooter was an 18-year-old. Another update from CBS coming up at 420, and our newsroom is on this as well here at CCO. CBS News has learned that the White House is going to be announcing an executive order tomorrow on policing, marking the two-year anniversary that George Floyd was killed by former MPD officer Derek Chauvin. Now, this executive order may include... Collection of use of force data, a ban on chokeholds, and a restriction on no-knock warrants. Possibly a blueprint for future legislation. Joining us, Stephen Belton, Urban League Twin Cities, recovering attorney and pastor. Is there anything else I forgot to add? Grand Grandfather? No, no, not grandfather yet. No grandfather? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Aspiring grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, well, when you least expect it, you get the news. Isn't that the truth? 
Good to have you here, Stephen. Thanks. Good to be here. Good to be in studio. Uh, boy, I'll tell you. Yeah, it's night. The whole face-to-face after two years of Zoom meetings, and yeah, I, I take nothing for granted. And the cap you have on, the baseball cap, it says, breathe love. And um, that's not a coincidence. No, it's not. It's I wore it today with great intentionality. It's uh, it's a slogan that's been adopted by my church and congregation, but obviously it has broad meaning for the society that we're in and for the moment that we're living in. Um, with so much hate and so much, um, you know, uh, hate that doesn't seem to have a direction or purpose. And uh, it's a time when all of us, I think, need to be reminded uh, to breathe and to breathe love in particular. Take us back to that day two years ago, uh, your initial reaction, uh, the the immediate aftermath. I mean, I, I, I was in a state of perpetual shock. First of all, that this murder, this execution took place in broad daylight, and it was videotaped, and that changed the world. Yeah. I mean, how many of these happen, you know, in darkness, in the shadows, and we never hear about them? But what was your reaction uh, to the death of George Floyd? So I literally was uh, awakened uh, from my sleep by uh, my uh, persistent ringing of my phone. And I don't remember if it was phone or text, but uh, it woke me. And I, uh, someone had sent me a, the video. And, uh, and my first reaction, you know, this is at 4 o'clock in the morning or so, Paul. So I was hardly awake, and I, I, it was disbelief. I thought for a moment that I was perhaps witnessing or viewing a, a meme or something, you know, something awful someone had put together, but it didn't seem real. And it wasn't that, um, you know, the, the actions themselves were surprising to me. It was that, A, that it was caught on videotape. That didn't seem real. And frankly, I was just moved to disbelief by the inhumanity of it. It just seems so obvious that George Floyd uh, was crying out for his life and was being ignored by the four police officers who were around him. And it was just disbelief at the inhumanity of the entire thing. Uh, And so shock and disbelief, uh, and then very quickly anger. And again, the word murder is a charged word. And and I, I, I'm sure some people will push back and, and say, well, you know, um, the cop was just doing his job, right? Derek Chauvin was just doing his job. Um, I, I still encounter some of that, not as much as, as I did two years ago. But just to remind listeners, Derek Chauvin was, in fact, found guilty of second-degree unintentional murder. He was found guilty of third-degree murder and second-degree manslaughter. Uh, three other officers on the scene convicted of federal civil rights offenses. Uh, there was some accountability. We could argue whether it was appropriate accountability. The city of Minneapolis's $27 million settlement with the Floyd family did send a message to police departments around the country, around the world, that actions have consequences. And now with smartphones, citizen journalists, security cameras, webcams, what happened in the shadows... Uh, now, more times than not, is exposed. There is usually justice, however belated. Do you agree with that premise or, or not? 
I don't know that there's usually justice. In fact, I would disagree that there is usually justice. I think in this case there was justice. Now, bear in mind, I'm not a relative of George Floyd. And for his family, for his closest friends, for his loved ones, um, no amount of penalizing the um, you know, the perpetrators, the police officers who deprived him of his life is going to give them a sense of justice. But from a community perspective, I think that we have seen justice, and I think justice continues to be rolled out. We'll continue to have it because the trials are not over, um, particularly of the uh, of the three officers who are not Derek Chauvin. Or, so. Yeah, well said. Stephen, thank you. Uh, we're going to take an update here from CBS News about that uh, Another mass shooting, this time in elementary school in Central Texas. That's coming up next. Paul Douglas here. Uh, we join the press conference underway right now in that uh, mass shooting in Texas. We have several injuries, uh, adults and students, and we do have some deaths. Uh, the suspect is deceased at this point. Uh, DPS is assisting with the investigation. Um, and at this point, the investigation is leading uh, to tell us that the, the suspect uh, did act alone uh, during this hyenas crime. Uh, families are being notified, and we are providing services to them uh, as the district uh, should. Uh, as far as the rest of the district is concerned, safety measures were taken to make sure that we had a safe release for the rest of the district. For the, for, throughout our city of Uvalde, and we uh, had numerous uh, law enforcement officers and agencies that assisted with the safety release for those students. Uh, we do want to keep all our families in their prayers. I hope you do as well. And we also want to respect the privacy of the family. Uh, it is still being worked on, and again, we'll notify the parents and the families as soon as we have some news for them. Thank you so much. We greatly appreciate that was a very brief press conference in Uvalde, Texas, west of San Antonio, in the aftermath of another shooting at an elementary school, Robb Elementary School, 14 dead, including one teacher, Adam Carter, here in Studio A uh, with more perspective. Hey, yeah, Adam. Yeah, forgive me. I don't, didn't get the name of that police official or the school official, but as you said, uh, very limited information from them. Uh, the information, uh, the confirmation of the deaths came from Governor Greg Abbott about a half an hour ago and that 14 children and one teacher at this Rob Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, were killed after this 18-year-old man apparently armed with a a handgun and possibly a rifle entered the school today and opened fire, killing these 14 children and one one teacher. Uh, motive uh, not known at this point. The 18-year-old shot and killed by authorities uh, after the fact. So we uh, have a lot more questions as to about uh, what happened leading up to this, what happened uh, with this 18-year-old man. And CBS uh, still obviously has a lot of investigators on this, a lot of reporters covering it, including some FBI contacts, obviously the FBI uh, reporting, uh, FBI uh, investigating this as well. In fact, I think we'll go to CBS here uh, just a few moments to get the very latest from CBS News again. 14 children, one teacher dead in a shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. CBS News Special Report. Texas Governor Greg Abbott says 18-year-old Salvador Ramos opened fire, killing children and a teacher at a Uvalde elementary school. He shot and killed horrifically, incomprehensibly, 
14 students uh, and killed a teacher. Uh, Mr. Uh, Romus, the shooter, uh, he is he uh, he himself uh, is deceased, uh, and is believed that responding officers killed him. Police say the suspected shooter acted alone. Derek Gonzalez works nearby. When we heard all this, well, all the neighborhoods started coming out, running to the school because we know everybody has family there. One hospital says a 66-year-old woman and a 10-year-old girl are both in critical condition. One Customs and Border Protection agent was also shot in the head but is in stable condition at a local hospital. CBS News Special Report, I'm Steve Dorsey. That was an update from CBS News on the shooting in Texas. When we come back, more perspective on the two-year anniversary of George Floyd's death with Stephen Belton, Urban League Twin Cities. That's next. Paul Douglas, back with you on a somber Tuesday with the news coming out of Uvalde, Texas, west of San Antonio, 14 dead. My understanding, 13 elementary students and one teacher shot by an 18-year-old with an assault rifle or a rifle and a handgun. Not sure if it yet if it's an assault rifle. Stephen Belton is here to talk about the two-year anniversary of George Floyd, and I promise we'll get to more of that, but... Stephen, your reaction, uh, something you told me when we were in the commercial break, uh, resonated with me. Um, Just the frustration. As a parent, as a grandparent, as a human being, you see these stories and you just, you shake your head. I mean, what is it going to take? Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know. I know what could help, and that would be to have passed some meaningful gun control laws, and I'm Again, I need to say to your listeners that I am not at all an anti-Second Amendment person. I believe in the right to bear arms, but I also think that we need to be reasonable and responsible about that. 18-year-olds having access to assault-style weapons, and we don't know. It's not clear yet with the shooter in Texas what sort of weapons he had in addition to a handgun. But having access to weapons there, um, we need to be attacking this issue upstream. I had told you, shared with you, Paul, the story of it reminded me of the story of the two fellows who were on the banks of a river and they're fishing and all of a sudden a baby rolls by down river and they grab the baby and pull it out of the water and then another one comes and next thing you know they're up to their ankles in water and their knees and they're pulling babies out of the water and suddenly one of the men gets up and walks away and his friend says, where are you going? He says, I'm going upstream to find the son of a gun who's throwing babies in the water. And it seems to me that our reaction in this context is that we can either continue to pull babies out of the water, and literally that's what we're doing here in Texas, or we can go upstream and address the problem that allows uh, people to attack the schools. I don't think it's a. I don't think the answer is to barricade our schools, to put more metal detectors in there. I think we need to go upstream to this issue, Paul, and begin to address meaningful gun control. Eighty, ninety percent. I mean, depending on the poll you look at, a significant majority of Americans acknowledge the need for common sense gun reform. But even when you mention the word reform, yep. some people say, "Up, oh, they're coming for my guns." Yep. And and they don't want to listen. What if Sandy Hook didn't do it? If if this mass shooting at an elementary school doesn't do it, what what on earth is going to get politicians off the dime? Well, keep in mind, we are still haven't caught our breath uh, from Buffalo, New York, yeah. where another eighteen year old shot ten people, killed ten people. 
And we don't know whether this was a racialized motive, uh, judging, looking, I'm not judging, but what I've seen from the images on television is that it appears to be a Latinx community, a Latinx school, and the surname of the individual who shot perhaps from that community. And so maybe that nixes out, maybe there was no racialized motive. But there are too many guns in the hands of people who are either mentally ill, who have been radicalized by some sort of anti-this uh, anti or that group, some sort of hate uh, belief system. There are too many guns in the hands of people who has, shouldn't be able to pass a basic criminal background check, and we need to address that. Reform of these laws does not mean that we're coming after law-abiding citizens' right to bear arms. Right. Thank you, Stephen. CBS has another update on what's happening in Texas, the aftermath of this horrific shooting, 14 dead, uh, my understanding, 13 elementary students and one teacher. We'll have the very latest for you coming up on CCO. Paul Douglas in Studio A at CCO will keep you up to date, up to the minute with what's happening in Texas in Uvalde, 15 dead, 14 elementary school children. It's, it's hard saying that out loud. Murdered in cold blood and one teacher. 18-year-old shooter is dead. He was armed with two weapons, one rifle, and one handgun. And uh, more information is coming out, and we will keep you posted. I'm joined by Stephen Belton, Urban League Twin Cities, who's also an attorney and a pastor, a well-rounded human being. So glad to have you with us, Stephen. I, I wish you could be here under different circumstances. We invited you to talk about George Floyd and what, if anything, we've learned, how we've evolved, how we've improved in two years. Of course, uh, the news of the day. Thank you for your perspective on that as well. Absolutely. It's good to be with you. There does seem to be kind of a, an odd through line between George Floyd and the events of today, which is just the uh, prevalence of violence uh, in our society and in some ways the ways that we have become inured to it. Um, we're, of course, horrified in this moment. Um, but I'm just thinking about how quickly the news cycle moves from, we, as I mentioned earlier, we are still, you know, recovering, still getting our breath back from Buffalo. From Buffalo, yeah. And now we've moved on to this next violent incident in the same way that in the aftermath of George Floyd, we moved on to yet another killing and another killing and another killing. And uh, the through line seems to be this violence, this disrespect, disregard for uh, human life. And uh, it's appalling and it's alarming. And, of course, at a very visceral and human level, it makes one wonder, um, you know, what our place is in the world and what is, you know, makes it as a pastor. I hear people often say, where's God in the middle of all of this? And um, you have to wonder. It's it's a legitimate question. I can answer that. I have my own answer for we that. We live in a flawed world, we right? We live in a flawed world. We do. And... Um, I think God is in the outrage that we continue to feel. God is in the sense of uh, loss in the way that we empathize and connect with those families, even though you and I don't know anybody. At least we, I don't think we know anybody who's personally connected with the tragedy that just took but place I, in no, Texas. I, but we still feel it. We empathize. I, I can't imagine you're going to have 15 funerals, including 14 funerals, for little kids who did nothing wrong. They yeah. They, they're they guilty to, of going went, to school. Yeah. yeah, it's just 
heart-wrenching and mind-boggling and maddening. And again, what is it going to take? Sandy Hook, uh, 27 were dead, uh, including 20 children. 20 kids were murdered. Uh, To my knowledge, I may be wrong, but this is the biggest uh, school shooting, at least elementary school shooting, since Sandy Hook, Connecticut. And um, I just, you know, you talk about, and this is an incendiary topic, you talk about gun rights and Second Amendment rights. I, too, believe, acknowledge Second Amendment rights, but I don't think everybody should have a gun. I just don't. And do you think people who are mentally incapacitated or have some sort of mental disorder should have access to guns? Yeah, of course not. Nor, um, you know, it, it strikes me that uh, we probably put people through more rigor in testing just to get a driver's license yeah. than yeah. we do for some states to be able to own a handgun. And, of course, the consequences are far more deadly uh, with the ownership, are potentially far more deadly with the ownership of, uh, of a handgun. So. You're here today, among other things, to talk about George Floyd. Two years tomorrow since we lost George Floyd. And I saw a statistic today that made me do a a triple take. Unarmed African-Americans three times more likely to be shot by police nationwide than unarmed people with white skin. I mean, we still have that that divide. And um, when it comes to accountability... 25 police and sheriff's departments around the country have paid out more than $3 billion in the last 10 years for citizens wrongly injured or killed by the police. So, you know, payouts to family members, is that going to solve the crisis? How do, And there is obviously a lot of push to get real police reform and at the same time balance that with public safety. How do we... How do we thread that needle? Yeah. So first, let me go back to something you mentioned earlier. These payouts, um, they really aren't accountability, and they certainly aren't justice. I remember when I was practicing law, I used to tell clients that uh, the only thing that a lawsuit can do is transfer money from one account to another. Right. Uh, but it won't give you a sense of relief. It won't give you a sense of justice. It won't give you a sense of completion about these issues. And so even for the families of the people, for the, certainly for the victims uh, where they survived these killings or these, excuse me, these shootings, um, there's no real sense of justice. There's only monetary gain. Uh, and there really isn't any sense of accountability because it, even in the city of Minneapolis, we've paid out thousands, millions of dollars, actually, not thousands, but millions of dollars uh, for uh, wrongful police actions. But it hasn't stopped them from occurring, stopping them from occurring. That's what accountability does. All it does is saying that you're being held financially liable for this. Um, but it doesn't stop the thing from happening. So you ask, what can we do um, to change this system around police accountability. It is a complex system, but it begins with things like having, uh, I'm pushing very hard for believing that we need to have police uh, have um, professional liability insurance. Uh, we also need to address their licensing issues. I saw that the Minnesota Police Officer Standards and Training Board, also called the Post Board, just this week uh, addressed some new issues that are going to tighten up licensing and make 
uh, police officers, their licenses will become liable uh, and it will be a lot easier to uh, yank their licenses uh, when they have been found to uh, have committed some wrongdoing. Uh, before they had to have been found guilty of a felony or, or of a series of misdemeanors, now that is not the case. And so it'll, it, reforms happen on a variety of levels, um, but they also begin by addressing the culture of policing itself. We need reforms in the police departments. We need to be able to address um, the ability to discipline officers. We need to address recruiting. Uh, we need to be able to talk about things like, you know, uh, the training that police officers get to be able to address their own implicit and inherent biases. Um, there are people who are pushing uh, for reforms like residency requirements, requiring police officers to live in the communities that they patrol. Is that a good idea? I think it is a good idea in the abstract and perhaps over the long term. I don't see any immediate or any short-term kind of benefits occurring. But I do think that it's hard to argue with the sort of the, the basic logic or the mother wit, if you will, that if you know someone, uh, if you're, they're your neighbors, you're going to be less likely to uh, – to to overcommit to overpolice them to subject them to a extraordinary violence if you know them if you have a relationship with them so I think that can help but again I don't see it being a short term kind of a benefit two years after George Floyd cried out I can't breathe are African Americans in this nation breathing any easier I mean are are, are do you see any progress or or not so I would caution against it and I don't. I would caution against uh, speaking to what uh, African-Americans generally believe. I, I can speak from my own perspective and from, your, you know, from the Urban League's perspective. What I'm seeing and what I'm hearing, the answer is no. I think people are feeling more activated, more vigilant, and that's a good thing. Uh, we have, you mentioned earlier, a lot of citizen journalists now, cell phone journalists now, people who feel activated. People are looking at their cell phones differently now as if it's a potential weapon to address police violence. Um, but in terms of feeling safer, no, I don't, you know, I'm not, I wouldn't change the talk. You asked if I had grandchildren, not yet, but if I had grandkids and they were of a certain age now, I wouldn't change the talk. You have to have, and, and again, remind listeners, what yeah, is the, the talk? The talk is a conversation that African-American parents or parents of African-American kids have to have with them when they get to be about, you know, adolescents to explain to them how they need to behave in public when they are confronted by a police officer uh, in order to come home alive. Uh, in order to to protect themselves, and I wouldn't change the talk. I wouldn't relax and change. And I don't know many parents who are saying, "I no longer feel like I have to have the talk." I think people are feeling like if something happens, if their children are killed, uh, if there is a um, you know an untoward, uh, a violent police uh, action now, that there there possibly will be more accountability. I think there will be uh, there are more tools available now, but I don't think people are feeling like it's not going to happen again. I think we're just sort of bracing for the next incident. Stephen Belton, Urban League, Twin Cities, thank you for hanging in there today with Absolutely. perspective on, on George Floyd, two-year anniversary of his death coming up tomorrow in Minneapolis. That and this tragic story, another tragedy, this time in west-central Texas, Uvalde, west of San Antonio, 15 dead including 14 elementary school students in yet another mass shooting. We'll be back with more coverage on CCO.
Paul Douglas back with you. Stephen Belton joining us from Urban League Twin Cities to talk George Floyd and another senseless, mindless, horrific tragedy, this time in West Central Texas, Uvalde. Fifteen dead, including 14 elementary school children. I saw this stat, Stephen, and it it made me think, since 1776, 1.2 million Americans have died in war. 1.2 million. Since 1969, over 1.6 million Americans have died in gun violence. Mm. In our schools, on our streets. It's just a staggering number. And God help us if we become numb to this. Well, I think we have become numb to it. So I think there's been a, a um, I think we've, our pity instinct has been uh, repressed by the repetitiveness of these incidents of violence. And um, we see it on television, we you know read about it, we see it on social media, and uh, it's we've become numb to it. And uh, that numbness has made us complacent. Uh, to the point where we sort of accept it as, you know, as an as an inevitability, and of course it's not, Paul. It this is, is the price of doing business in America today. We're going to have what every day, every other day, another mass shooting, and 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 somehow that becomes the new normal. It can't be. It can't be, and and yet it is. We because we aren't doing anything about it. We haven't. We're not able to galvanize enough will and enough consensus about the way to do things. I understood that uh, President Biden is planning to announce an executive order that will have some sort of gun control reforms. Yes. But uh, the reason he's doing it by executive order is because we can't get consensus uh, with our lawmakers. But our politicians represent us. And and, and a, a huge majority of Americans favor common sense gun laws. People who are mentally incapacitated should not be walking around with AR-15s. Most people would not argue that. A small fringe group might, but most of us agree. Most of us agree, and it's not just a small fringe group. It's a very powerful lobby on behalf of that small fringe group. It's a gun lobby um, that believes that if they yield anything on this, if they give up a foot, they're going to wind up giving up a mile. They're coming for our guns. That's exactly right. And they have successfully parlayed that belief and that stance uh, into effective fundraising, and that fundraising um, yields influence in Congress. It shouldn't, but that's the way it works. Are you concerned they're coming for your guns? That if we reform, just common sense reform, background checks, closing some of the loopholes, people who are mentally incapacitated, or make violent threats on social media, maybe should not be armed? No, not concerned about it. And uh, they can certainly come for my guns since I don't own any guns. And so, But I would also say that we're also looking about common sense things like having a registry of prior felons or people who have committed uh, gun violence. That shouldn't, that shouldn't, I don't understand why that's a controversial Kind of a deal. It's controversial only if you are of the mindset that yielding anything um, will yield everything. The slippery slope it's theory. the slippery right? slope. They're yeah. coming for our guns. More with Stephen Belton about this tragedy in Texas and George Floyd two years later. Stay with us here on CCO. 
T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.